All right. Uh, right now, a lot of people are prepping for getting ready for a Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday today. Big game coming up. Uh, but uh, in the midst of that, I'm glad you're here, you know, because Jesus should always come before even the biggest games on this planet, right? And he, he is Lord and uh, creator, redeemer and everything. And, oh, I forgot to mention, and I did, wouldn't even mention it, but, but my wife's like, you have to say at least something. But praise God, so far, the ablation went well. Hopefully my heart stays in what's called sinus rhythm. It's been that way since Monday, and I'm so grateful uh, for that. And, uh, and that was one, one of the doctors told me my, my, I wouldn't be able to be in sinus rhythm because I had AFib for so long without knowing it, uh, told Lisa and I. And so there's some things I was told already that didn't happen, so I'm happy that, to think that, well, okay, hopefully this will happen. But my cardiologist said he felt, especially because my heart came back so quick, that there was actually a good chance. But chance, all those things, we have the Lord too. So we look to him. So whatever he has, I'm comfortable with because he is Lord. He knows that's been my heart the whole time. Uh, not that one won't be harder than the other, so I do pray for, you know, <laughs> uh, you know everything to go well. Anyway, uh, back to the Word and the Lord and His work for us and what He's called us to. Uh, so we're in the midst of a series called Rejoice in the Lord Always, right? And we've done a f I've done, I think, probably about three or four messages on that. And I'll tell you, I told you we're going to have a, a two or three series going at the same time. And then we'll go, you know, get back into Revelation, Ecclesiastes, <laughs> when the time comes. Uh, hopefully uh, pretty quick as well, because I'm juggling these things together. But I didn't want to do everything on Rejoice in the Lord. In fact, we had a message on abortion. I think that was, what, last Sunday uh, or the Sunday before. And uh, so we're mixing things up a little bit because I want to keep a little variety for you guys. But uh, Lord is good. And I wanted to do a little series called Bodybuilding with Jesus. Bodybuilding with Jesus. And uh, there's physical bodybuilding. The Bible says physical exercise is good for a little, but spiritual exercise is good for much, not only in this world, but in the world to come. Amen. So what, if, you, if you're in a bodybuilding and working out and stuff, which is important a little compared to spiritually, you ought to be far more involved in spiritual bodybuilding, in your spiritual life. Amen. So I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll just do, Lord willing, just a, a few messages on this, uh, just like the other series. But Ephesians chapter 4, there's different passages and different scriptures that talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14 and Ephesians chapter 4 here and 1 Peter chapter 4 and Romans chapter 12 and uh, you know, various passages talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And each born-again believer has a gift. Just as a physical child is born into the world with a physical gift, at least one or more, so every bo person who is born again spiritually is born into the, the, the kingdom of God with s at least one or more spiritual gifts. Some have, like the Apostle Paul, seemed to have, you know, just all kinds of spiritual gifts and God was using him in just in such radical ways. But he wants to use each and every one of us. And part of bodybuilding is understanding that we're a part of the body of Christ. And it's interesting because Paul uses and mixes a couple different metaphors together. He, he uses the idea of a building in Ephesians, that we are God's building. You can understand the temple was a picture of the body of Christ uh, in the Old Testament as well. So, uh, and a building is a great picture of the church. Uh, the physical church that we're in, that, what, which we call often a church, is just the physical aspect which contains the church. The church is the people, Amen. Uh, the church, we're a habitation of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. Uh, the church is the body of Christ, the people, not the building. So I always, you know, through the years, I don't do as much anymore, but my wife, because I'm more of a literalist at times, you know, and more of a perfectionist and theologically precise. So when she'd say, I'm going to the church, i go, oh, the people are there, you know, or something like that, because I wanted to, I want to say church building. But then I thought, no big deal, just relax, she's not in a, you know, not writing a theological paper. Okay. Anyway, uh, but we are the church, and we're supposed to be building each other up and encouraging each other and strengthening each other. And uh, I was going to go through Ephesians chapter 4, the first six verses, and then through verses 8 and 10. And I thought, you know what? I know if I do that, I'm going to be tempted to talk about it more than I probably should. And then I'm going to push up against that hour when we're almost done. And 
push past it maybe. So I'm going to just like skip the first page or so of my notes. Uh, and I want you to just, but I do want you to pick it up at verse, chapter 4, verse 11, when it actually starts talking about the gifts of the Spirit. But understand, I've got to give you just a little bit of background. Uh, is Paul, this is one of Paul's prison epistles. And <laughs> in his prison epistles, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing, this is where he wrote Philippians from the, the Roman prison. And he wrote the book uh, Colossians to the church of Colossae, the church of Philippi. And here the church at Ephesus, he writes Ephesians, and he's in prison. And it's really a powerful book. But for the first three chapters, Paul talks about who we are in Christ. Amen? We've been saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, that we're seated in heavenly places, we're chosen in Christ, you know, before the foundations of the world, and that he has brought Jews and Gentiles together in one body uh, and broke down that middle wall of perdition, all that. And then in chapter 4, amen, in chapter 4, verse 1, he, taught, he, he says, Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So the first three chapters, there's not one single command, not one command, not one application, not one, hey, do this. You know, it's just deep theology. But then after this three chapters of deep theology, you have all these different commands, you know, about walking worthy of his calling. It begins with that one. And then chapter three, four, uh, you know, four, five, and six are all these commands, you know. Uh, in fact, I love the first three chapters because I just love Jesus. And when you love God, you love theology. Because theology is a study of God. Amen. And if you say, oh, theology bores me, it's like, well, then God bores you. because, And that's sad to me. You should be excited about the Lord. And then you have no real motivation and excitement about obeying him because you don't know him the way you, The more you know him, the more you love him. And the more you love him, the more you want to obey him. And then you want to apply the commands to your lives. So my, my as a pastor, I've always thought, the more I can get people to love Jesus, the more they're going to be like fish to the water. They're going to just want to obey him, you know? That I could tell them, hey, this is what he says to do. And it's like, okay, boom, you know? And from the get-go, when this church first started, when we were just a brand new fellowship, even before we were a church, we had a little Bible study, you know, 15 people or so. I don't know, Mike, how many people were that Bible study? Lisa, you know, 10 people, 12 maybe, you know? Uh, when it was, well, when the church first started, they kind of had grown a little bit, and all of a sudden we're at 35, you know? The first service, I think, you know. And uh, yeah, that's right. We didn't really have any, much of our kids yet. I think we had Holly, you know. <laughs> uh, but it was kind of interesting because that little study, uh, we hit the ground running. But a brother who became part of that right at the end, or as the church was starting, Scott Pruitt from Calvary Chapel, Thousand Oaks, became part of our fellowship. And he, and he always hit me because, you know, you don't recognize your own children growing. If you're a parent, you know what I mean. Like others, wow, your kid's really grown. I haven't seen him for three weeks, right? And, but he said, Joe, he goes, you, you know, your Bible study, you're, you're in, in fellowship because in the fellowship, he goes, produces really strong converts because people were street witnessing. People were just all excited about Jesus and everything. And for me, that is the way it's supposed to be, you know. And to this day in our fellowship, you know, I mean, you look at our, but by the grace of God, it's just by God's grace and just doing what he said to do, and watching him work. And it's just amazing because to this day right now, I mean, we have so many people and from young to old involved in reaching people for Christ. And we have a bunch of young people that are just hitting the streets and going, you know, throughout the, you know. But from the very get-go, it was exciting. But you know what? There was also the work of the ministry. And we were excited about it. And we should be excited about it. And there are different gifts the Lord gave to the church. And Ephesians 4, we read about some of them. It says in verse 11, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And most uh, commentators will point out that pastors and teachers are not two different offices there, but pastors should be like pastors hyphen teachers. Uh, although that doesn't mean that the teachers is also another gift that you see in, in the body of Christ in other places in the New Testament. But right here he's underlining apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. Uh, pastors who are teaching. Uh, and the Bible does make an emphasis. Sometimes there's, there's, there's pastors, and, uh, which is synonymous with elders. And then it talks about those pastors or elders who, who uh, teach, okay, uh, and so forth. Uh, they have more of an emphasis of teaching. 
Uh, so not every, everyone has the same emphasis in teaching as a pastor, although all, all elders or pastors ought to be able to teach to some degree because there's not just different gifts. The Bible says there's different administrations of those gifts. God pours them out differently to be used in, in different ways with different people. So he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some evangelists, and some as pastor teachers. And it's interesting because uh, when we look at these gifts, and we're going to look at more than just these, but because we're going to be talking about our giftings and how the Lord wants to use us to build up the body of Christ. And each of you has a spiritual gift if you're a Christian. And God wants to use you. He didn't give you that gift to sit on and say, oh, look at this gift I have. He gave you that gift to use his glory and to give to others, to serve. He doesn't want you to bury your talents. Oh, I'm kind of nervous. On how I'm just going to bury my talents. Remember what happened to the wicked servant who buried his talents and didn't, use, and didn't serve the Lord? I mean, what was he had was given to someone else, you know, and he was thrown out of darkness because he just sat and he didn't serve the Lord. And the Lord is very, very serious about recognizing that the gifts are given because God wants to use us to his glory. We want to be serious and say, Lord, use me. Help me to be a blessing to others. And it could be there's gifts of 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans chapter 12, gifts of encouragement, gifts of governments, gifts of administrations, gifts of helps. All kinds of different gifts, you know? And, well, how do I know my gift? You pray, you crowd to God and say, use me your glory, and just go around believers and pray to be used and be humble, and then God will just start using you. He'll put things on your hearts and ways to bless people, whether it's uh, helping somebody by encouraging them, whether it's helping them uh, by, by teaching them or encouraging them in the Word, or by leading by example, or by... Uh, you can find sometimes, I say, when something happens, you know, what happens if a, a child's running through here and breaking the, one of the rules we have not to be running in the sanctuary and runs over another kid and he, his head gets bounced against, say, you know, those metal, uh, you know, the metal over there, bam. And all of a sudden you have a bunch of people go and do different things. Some will come and attend right to the kid. Someone else say, oh, he's bleeding bad. I'm going to call 911, right? Somebody else will just, ah! And I don't know if that's a gift, but maybe it gets someone's attention that needs to come, you know? But you have all kinds of people do different things because, but there's people doing, a lot of people doing the right things. Uh, and, and there's order in that, you know? And, you know, God's given us common sense on a natural level because he's made us in his image. But he's also given us spiritual gifts, Right? And those spiritual gifts work in the body of Christ to build up the spiritual body. Now, it's interesting when he mentions the first two he mentions are apostles and prophets. And I believe it's important to understand that these are foundational gifts, okay? Uh, we do believe at Blessed Hope Chapel we are what's called, we're not, we're not cessationists. And we're not sensationalists. And sometimes I'll say that. I'll use that little play on words. We're not sensationalists because we're not like way into, you know, emphasizing the power of God, miracles. We're a church that does miracles and come and see us. And, you know, and we're having revival and God's going to do miracles. And we have a special apostle here. We're not like that, okay? We're not sensationalists. Uh, we preach Jesus. We're in love with him. And whatever gifts he gives, we're not in love with the gifts. We're in love with Jesus. Whatever gifts he gives us, we praise him to his glory. And we've seen God radically, wonderfully, beautifully move supernaturally, divinely, a number of times in this fellowship where we, where we just, unmistakably, that's the Lord's hands. It's been beautiful. It's been powerful. But we're also not cessationists. Cessationists is a term that's used of those who believe that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased, that they're no longer in existence, and that, you know, they died out when the Bible was completed. And it's based on a strange interpretation of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when Paul says, when I, you know, whether there be prophecies, they will cease, or tongues, they will cease, uh, and so forth. And when I was a child, I thought I was a child, and I spoke as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. But he goes on to talk about when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. So when that perfect comes, then the in part, the gifts will be done away with. And it does say that. But the, con but the point is, is, what is the perfect there? <laughs> the perfect is Jesus and his return. And they say, well, no, the perfect is when the Bible was completed. Well, I don't think the Corinthians were thinking that when they read that. In fact, Paul says to the Corinthians before he says that, 1 Corinthians 1, that I praise God, I thank my God that you come, by, you come behind in no gifts as you wait the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord was the goal. And, uh, and then we know it wasn't when the Bible was completed. You know why? Because he defines when that would perfect come, what it looks like. When that which is perfect has come, he goes, then we will what? 
we will see, he goes, we'll see in the glass, we see in the glass darkly, but then we shall see face to face and we will know, catch this, listen, we will know as we are what? We will know as we are known. You understand that? He says, we'll know as we're known. Do any of you know as you are known? I don't. The Bible came and I don't know as I'm known. It's not talking about the Bible. As wonderful and powerful and beautiful as the Bible is. You know, it's God's word. But that which is, and it's perfect as well, but that's not what it was talking about. It's talking about the Lord's return. That's when we'll know as we're known. We'll be resurrected, amen. Made like him, we'll be like Jesus. So the gifts haven't ceased. They're still here. But guess what? There's certain uh, gifts in the form of persons which were foundational. And they're still active in the sense that God still ministers us to us through the ones that had, he already called through the written word of God. Uh, but they're foundational and they don't exist in the same way. And that's the apostles and prophets. There were how many apostles that the Lord called? Twelve apostles. Amen. And uh, he didn't call, you know, 172 or 144,000 apostles or whatever. He called 12 apostles. And they were foundational. So we're looking at the building of the church and bodybuilding. And the metaphor of the building is used, but also the metaphor of the body is used, right? The physical body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Like we all need each other. We have different gifts. It's beautiful. But guess what? The gifts, the apostles and prophets were foundational. When you have a building, you have basically three layers. You have the foundation, right? Then you have the structure itself made up of the beams and the rafters and the four by sixes and two by sixes and so forth. And then you have what goes on top, the roof. And whatever, if it's a church, a cross or a steeple or whatever, you have what's on top. If it's a, if it's a, a building of commerce, you'll have signs or what have you. So we're going to be looking at all three aspects of that structure, which are important to understand. But you have a foundation, amen? And Jesus said, you must not build your house on the sand, but you build it on the rock, amen? amen. So when God builds his house, he builds on a solid foundation. And we know the apostles are part of the foundation, and they are the foundation. So go to, well, since we're in, Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 and look what Paul already said in verses 19 and 20 about the apostles and the prophets. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints of, the, of God's what? And are of God's household. We're his building. Look at verse 20. Having been built on the what? Foundation of the apostles and prophets. And then what? Christ Jesus himself being the what? Cornerstone. Check that out. So the apostles and prophets are part of the foundation. Amen? And Jesus Christ is also part of the foundation. In fact, there are two foundations. Jesus is the cornerstone. Amen? He's the reality, the person, his words, his teaching, his lordship as deity, as the, as the God-man. He is the one that we're built on. And we're built on the apostles and prophets. In what sense are we built on the apostles and prophets? We're built on the testimony of their witness that they saw the resurrected Christ, amen? And the testimony of, of the scriptures that God wrote through them, amen? As he guided them along by the Holy Spirit and he had commissioned them in their apostolic ministry after much prayer praying from, you know, all night long until the break of dawn and then he called them. So these, I'm showing you very clearly from scripture, the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the building. Amen? And very important because if we didn't have the foundation, we wouldn't have this testimony of people who had spent a few years with Jesus and seen the resurrected Christ and many of which also had sealed their testimony and the veracity and the, of the evidence and the proof of their testimony in their own blood. Amen? And, and, and we have the, the words of, I mean, these are guys, John and Peter, fishermen, but you're reading it's like some of the heaviest stuff you'll ever read because it's the Word of God. Amen? Inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it's it's a blow mine for sure. So we have these two foundations, uh, and it's quite extraordinary. The Greek word for apostle is apostolos. Uh, apostolos. And it simply means sent on, to be sent on a mission, to be a sent one. And often it's used in the context of Scripture, to be sent on a mission. It's used in secular 
Greek to be sent on a mission often as well. But there, so the word in itself, if you saw the word apostle in Greek, apostolos, it's not necessarily a special word. Oh, an apostle. But the way it's used in the New Testament, it's used as a special, special designation uh, uh, often for the 12. It can be used of those who aren't of the 12. They were just sent out as well, you know. Uh, so, but, you know, it's a, it's a very, very beautiful word, especially in the context of how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, amen, and we think of the apostles. Uh, but it's used technically often of the 12 apostles, it's used technically of the 12 apostles of the church who were sent to govern the early church. It's so important was this to Jesus that he not only commissioned 12 apostles, but uh, specifically, but after he rose from the dead, he spent 40 more days until the day of Pentecost, right? Just before he ascended, uh, he spent much more time discipling them, preparing them to go out into the world and preparing them to tarry in Jerusalem to receive the power of the Holy Spirit from on high, not just the apostles, though, all the, so the other disciples, male and female, to go be his witnesses around the world. But he wanted to make sure they were leading the church, and he spent a few years with them, discipling them. Now we have to be really careful, because apostles were persons of incredible authority. And it was a small, localized, designated authority for a very small group of men. And since they have now passed, there are those who want to claim to be the new apostles today and want us to submit to their authority. Because you see, when the churches were active, sometimes, the like for instance, the Apostle Paul could use his apostolic authority. Like say, for instance, a church like the Church of Corinth, which he founded, by the way, right? But he's not pastoring the church. He's at a distance, but guess what? They have a guy who's having sexual relations with his father's wife. Whoa! And they're not doing anything about it. They're thinking, oh, well, we're saved by grace. Paul's like, that's not what it means to be saved by grace. And he says, excommunicate the man. He says, I've already made my decision. Excommunicate him. You know, there's a lot more to it. And he says, excommunicate, excommunicate the, not execute, excommunicate <laughs> We're talking about Catholicism then, right? But excommunicate the man from your, you know, from, you know, from your midst. A little leaven, leaven's a whole lump, right? Second Corinthians, you know, he repented, he comes back, and Paul says, receive him now, because some didn't want to bring him back. No, if he's repentant, bring him back in, you know? So they were swerving both ways, penalum grace and legalism, you know, and hyper grace, I should say, and legalism. So, but Paul, boom, he cut right, to, when I'm with you in spirit, you know, boom, that's what you're going to do. So today you have people that want, and this is how cults start, where the final authority is not the word of God anymore, it's the new apostles, you know. And they'll say things like in the prosperity gospel movement, the word faith movement, that the, you kidding? Some people say it'd be great to be around the apostles and live in their days, but you know what? The apostles would love to live and see what we're going to do. And they talk like that, it's crazy. It's like strange, it's sad. And uh, so you have all kinds of weird things. When I was a new Christian, I didn't know any other Christians. So I was praying, Lord, show me what the true church is. Because I had gone to the Catholic church as a, as a little kid. and stopped going as a teenager. But I thought, you know what, I want to, you know, what's the true church? What's it look like, you know? Who is it? And I'd pray and the Jehovah Witnesses. So I'm a Bible study with like 10 or 12 Jehovah Witnesses sometimes. It showed a little presentation of them because I was already exposing what the enemy was doing in music to my friends and you know, whoever is open. Then I had Mormons. Uh, Joe Witness actually had me at one of their houses with probably about 30 JWs. Mormons had like 12 or 14 Mormons come over to my house, you know, and uh, all elders, you know. I said elders, but they're like 11 years old or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you're supposed to husband of one wife, you know. You guys don't do that right either, but you guys aren't even married yet, you know. Uh, anyway, so... But I, so I was studying these things, and, and uh, I, you know, I studied Mormonism like really in depth. I went to the Deseret Bookstore in the Valley. I bought all kinds of books by the Mormons. That's a Mormon bookstore. I bought 26 volumes called Journal of Discourses, which is the sermons of all the Mormons for cent you know, a long period of time, uh, a century or more. And I went through that, and I, and I just, whoa, man. It says in the beginning of that, that series, published by the, you know, it says, that this is as good as doctrine as couch is in the Bible, as is couched in the Bible. 
It says all kinds of strange things. Brigham Young talking about how, you know, uh, he, you know, how he would kill backslidden Mormons or have them believe they should be killed, you know, so their blood, because the blood of Jesus can't cleanse from all sins, so they have to cleanse for their own sins. Stuff weird. You're just reading these brutal things. Reading things like Judas didn't hang himself. He was kicked to death by the other apostles to atone for his sins. Just, just bizarre stuff. And this is, you know... Anyway, but one of the things I thought was interesting when he's talking about the 12, because the Mormon church teaches that they have 12 apostles and that there's a succession of apostles. By the way, you never see a succession of apostles in the New Testament. When they're getting older, you don't see them appointing new apostles, by the way. Do you know that? Because they're the foundation. The foundation, you don't keep building the foundation over and over again, right? They're the foundation, the apostles and the prophets. Now, there's a prophetic gift, you know, today, and there's... Uh, you know, uh, but it's not, but there's not prophets in the sense of, hey, I want you to meet Jeremiah, my friends, Jeremiah and Isaiah. They're writing new scripture. People aren't writing new scripture, guys, okay? Uh, and just as there's not prophets in the sense, but there can be a prophetic gift, and there is. God can stir people up and give someone a word of knowledge, you know, a word of wisdom. These be tested by scripture, can never contradict scripture, amen? And somebody who contradicts scripture and claims it to be from God, I'm sorry. They don't need to repent, but they're not to be heard from again on, in, in, in any claim of a, a supernatural gift. Because they've already shown they don't have it. Right? And could, they're potentially dangerous. But uh, God can use people and does use people. So there's prophets, and I kind of explain it as there's prophets with a small P today. Just prophetic gift, I should say. Gifting. And there's apostles with a small A, not a capital A. Not like the twelve. And just in the sense that someone could have an apostolic ministry. And I wouldn't call people, I don't go around calling people apostles or prophets. But I'm saying for the sense of describing a function, I recognize that there's people that can have an apostolic-like ministry where they're sent out to start churches, plant churches, get them going. And then they go and start another church. They have an apostolic-type ministry, but they're not apostles on the part of the 12 apostles. Because you can't be one of those when you see the criteria in Scripture. First of all, we mentioned uh, that they're foundational, okay? And they're to be tested, guys. In, in Revelation chapter 2, I think it's verse 2, Jesus is addressing the church at Ephesus. And he says, I know your works, I know thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried or tested them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. I'm sorry, I memorized the first almost or so 10 chapters of Revelation. King James, so I always quoted the King James, at least the first half of Revelation are about, you know. But he, he says, you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And he commends them for that. Now he gets down on them because they have left their first love. They were checking their theological boxes, making sure they were theologically astute and, and believing the right things, but they weren't passionately seeking the Lord anymore. That's serious too. You want to make sure you're passionately seeking the Lord. You don't want just a theological education. And any a theological education should drive you to love Jesus more. And if it doesn't, get away from it. Amen? Because knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And without love, we're nothing. Amen? So we always want to make sure we have a passion for Jesus. So these guys had tested those who said they were apostles and were not and found them liars. That's not happening today. The church today has largely lost its first love and largely has lost its discernment too. doesn't test anymore hardly. Ooh, that's a travesty because you have all kinds of people following false apostles. And when I was reading this Journal of Discourses, 26 volumes, back to that, one of the things I read in there, which I thought was astonishing, is Brigham Young is talking about their, his 12, their 12 apostles because he's the prophet. He's the president of the church, the prophet. You know, you didn't have a pope of the church. He's the pope of the whole church, supposedly. They didn't call him popes like the Catholic church, which is wrong too. But he's the president, the prophet of the church. Mormons have a prophet, now a head prophet, and 12 apostles. Go through the New Testament and see where you have a head pro the head prophet. You don't. And read and show where you have a succession of the 12 apostles. You can't find it. They're foundational. But you know what he says about the, his apostles? He says there's a vision among us apostles. He talks about one believes that Jesus is just a mere man, you know. Brigham Young believed all his strange things, as you know, you know. Another believes in reincarnation, he says, you know. That the, those who are alive now lived in other bodies, he says, you know, he's describing reincarnation. And another fellow believes this other strange thing. I'm like, and they were, and you're passing these guys off as the 12 apostles. I'm sorry. Uh, so it's just really, really strange things. But 
uh, there's a concern today because now you have within, you know, and a lot of evangelicals are aware to watch out for Mormonism, watch out for the watchtower, that these are counterfeits, you know. By the way, even their elders, I mentioned, they're kids, right? Elders supposed to be the husband of one wife, you know, and so forth. But when you come to your door, you know, they just got out of diapers and it says elder, you know, and they want to talk to you, you know. They don't look very elderly, you know. Uh, just all kinds of strange things. In fact, they said blacks wouldn't enter the priesthood ever, Brigham Young. It's in the journal discourses that I have. They never enter. But then after the civil rights movement took place, guess what? The prophet of the Mormon church said, oh, I just heard it from God. He changed his mind on this. We can now have them in our priesthood, you know. Come on. They used to teach really racist doctrines. That's not the word of God. That's not the Holy Spirit, you know. Stick to Jesus. But you know what? Even though a lot of evangelicals know better, guess what they get sucked up into? They start following other apostles associated with the new apostolic reformation. This new wave of apostles up there. Uh, a lot of it's up there in Redding in Northern California. Bill Johnson's church, you know, Bethel. And the music is so powerful, you know. And they get drawn to the music. And then that opens them up. And it's interesting. The enemies always use music, huh? There's some guy that does a presentation on how the enemy does. Oh, never mind. Anyway. Uh, anyway. Uh, so, got to be careful. So it, it, Satan comes an angel of light, too, you know. And all of a sudden, people put their guard down, but they claim to be new apostles, like the apostles in the first century, not with a small a even. Like the apostle Peter, like the apostle Paul. And this is very, very important to understand that there was a criteria by which you had to meet to become an apostle. In fact, we know how that works, and thank God, because after Judas, one of the 12, betrayed Jesus, they appointed a new apostle. But guess what? He had to meet certain criteria. Go to Acts chapter 1 and look at the criteria in Acts chapter 1 that that new apostle who would replace the apostle Paul had to meet. We read in Acts chapter 1, verse 20. Therefore, it is necessary, Acts chapter 1, verse 20 through 22, Therefore, it is, I could always wait till I hear the last page or two turn, but I don't know how to wait for the last click on a cell phone because my ears aren't that great. Uh, therefore, it is necessary that the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John. So when he was baptized by John the Baptist and uh, the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove, and the Father said, from heaven, this is my beloved Son, right? In whom I'm well pleased, right? Beginning with the baptism of John, so they were witnesses of the Father's proclamation of who Jesus was, until the day that he was taken up from us. The, the, the res, they witnessed the, the ascension. One of these must become a, or they were there until that day at least, right? Uh, one of these must become a witness with us of his what? Resurrection. They had to be, they have to, the emphasis is there need to be witnesses of his resurrection, amen? But they wanted them to be, witness, better yet, even have them be witnesses of the, the testimony of Jesus, who he was, his life, you know? Not only his death, burial, and resurrection, but even up to the time of the ascension. Because they were going to be credible witnesses for the world, Amen? They would be proclaiming the gospel. And they would also be credible witnesses as how God changes a life. Amen? How the resurrected Christ lives in people. Amen? Because these are men like Peter and so forth. Then the powers of darkness were shaking. Their bones were clinking together. And all of a sudden, boom, Jesus appears in their midst and breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And even then, it wasn't until the day of Pentecost that they were incredibly bold when the Holy Spirit came upon them in power and they would be witnesses and proclaiming the gospel of the resurrected Christ. So uh, this was important. Now it's interesting. Matthias was chosen and they cast lots and prayed and sought the Lord and said, Lord, they quoted scripture, prophecy in Psalm 69 about how Judas would be blotted out of the book of life and another would take his place, a couple different prophecies they quote, and now they appoint Matthias. 
as the 12th, 12th, 12th apostle. Some say since Paul was chosen later that God didn't accept Matthias. I disagree with that because after, throughout the book of Acts after that, when it mentions the apostles, it mentions the 12. And it mentions the Holy Spirit through Luke mentions Matthias as being one of the 12 apostles. God did recognize him. And uh, so that's important to understand. So by the way, uh, do any of these Mormon apostles today or any of these Bethel apostles like Bill Johnson who leads Bethel, did they see the resurrected Christ? No, they didn't. They didn't. Now, Paul is an interesting case because he doesn't have all those experiences, but he has one of the main experiences, but he's not one of the 12 either. Okay, so he doesn't make it as one of the 12 because he didn't have all those experiences, but he has enough experiences to become with an apostle uh, <laughs> uh, in exercising the same kind of authority that they're exercising, just not being numbered among the 12. And we read in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, that Paul was chosen, quote, as my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So Paul had a unique call where he's designated specifically to the Gentiles. And he was chosen by God. And it's interesting because Paul lets us know that he was the last of the apostles. Okay? He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 8, uh, uh, he indicates at least that there weren't going to be apostles like the 12 or like him after him. In 15.8, he talks about how in chapter 15 that Jesus appeared to all these apostles, like James and so forth and Peter. And he says, and last of all, he, he was seen of me also. He was seen of me also as one, now check this out, as one born out of due time. Like an afterbirth, you know, like an afterbirth. Hello, Sonny, it's Joe. Just kidding, bro. Love you, brother. <laughs> and last of all, he's seen also of me as a one born out of due time. So Paul's saying, hey, <laughs> boom, here I am. I shouldn't be here, but God said, hey, he's going to use me too. And the other apostles accepted him and recognized his special calling as the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, it's interesting. Paul recognized that the Lord would not have allowed this if he had not seen the Lord, the resurrected Christ. In 1 Corinthians 9.1, he's defending his apostleship because of false apostles that have come in that were opposed to the original apostles' teaching. And he says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have, now listen to this. Have I not seen the Lord, our Lord? Are you uh, not my work in the Lord? In other words, didn't I establish this church? He established a church and savage wolves, Paul said, would come in among the church at Ephesus, another church, not sparing the flock, drawing disciples after them. Paul says he didn't go and build on someone else's foundation, but they'd come and build on his foundation after he'd started the fellowship. Now it's interesting, Paul's saying though, you're my work. What is going on here? But he says, do I not have, uh, or I'm sorry, have I not seen our Lord? In other words, he saw the resurrected Christ. And he was apostle born out of 12. Not one of the 12. He didn't have all those same experiences. But he seen the resurrected Christ. And God let him be, a, uh, uh, be an apostle born out of due time. Also, in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, he says, the signs of an, uh, he says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you. With all perseverance. Catch that? The signs of a what? True apostle. The miracles were performed among you. He's talking about miracles. With all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. That's 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Interesting, huh? So Paul had the miracles of an apostle. Paul had seen the resurrected Christ. We're not seeing that with what's going on there out there in Bethel. The best you kind of get is like, I went there and I had gold dust on my fingers. Wow. Where's that in the Bible? Oh, you know what? I can show you testimony of people that plant go, uh, planted gold dust and have been caught and admitted that they put, put gold dust in places so people will find gold dust and think it's from God. Don't go to a church and say, wow, there was pixie dust in my wife's hair. Did you see what was on the lady's hand, the pastor's wife who hugged her? No, I'm just kidding. But no, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Because these people are frauds, a lot of these people, you know? And by the way, I don't see, uh, and even if I saw some real bona fide radical miracles, that wouldn't prove anything to me. 
Jesus says in Matthew 24, 24, in the last days, he talks about how false Christ and false prophets will rise, showing great signs and wonders, deceiving, if possible, even the elect. Amen? And Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, right in that area, he talks about how the coming of the Antichrist will be with all kinds of power and signs and lying wonders or counterfeit wonders and all the sealness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Therefore, God gives them a strong delusion that they might believe a lie and they had pleasure in wickedness. They didn't love the truth. God gave them a strong delusion. Well, if you don't love God's truth, you'll be given over a strong delusion. Not because you were unconditionally elected to damnation, but because you refuse to love the truth. Then he gives you over to your darkness. In this case, there's false signs and wonders too. And, but, and these, but these guys have not seen. But what you have is, I mean, we show, we have a whole, whole you know, uh, on our podcast shows, we've done actually video, which you go online and see what we did on Bethel. We show Bill Johnson. This is supposedly the biggest revival in the world, charismatic revival. He, they, they claim he's an apostle and claims others are apostles and we're the leaders. And they want people to get around them and follow them in their leadership. And it teaches a lot of new agey type stuff, a lot of occult type stuff. We've proved that in our video. But Bill Johnson admits he, they make false prophecies. You know, I mean, they do. He, in fact, he says, we show him on video saying that one reason I know who a true prophet is is if he makes false prophecies, then I know he's a true prophet. He has to make some false prophecies. Where is that in Scripture? The Bible says, if you made false prophecies in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament times, but Old Testament, New Testament, you'd just be a false prophet. Old Testament times, because we're not under theocracy now. But under Israel's theocracy, you were rocked to sleep. Not like a baby. You were just, boom, gone, over, dead. You're to be stoned to death. But now, oh, you made false prophecies? Great, you must be a true prophet. What in the world? Such strange stuff, you know. And we show him up there with others during the, the, the rioting that was going on last summer with Gandalf's staff from Lord of the Rings, a replica. And they're hammering on the stage to get rid of racism. So it'll put out a... Well, that's all about wizardry, sorcery, spells. What are you doing? Are people just clueless that are watching that? I mean, no, we show it. And then they hit it twice. And he's there and with his hand on the staff. This is Bill Johnson, guys. These are not the signs of a true apostle. And then, and then the lady's like, they do it twice. And then the lady's like, we have to do it three times, like the movie. And I'm like, what? <laughs> they do it a third time, you know. And I'm like, what in the world? The church has become a circus, but diabolical too. And it shows you that they're not moving under the true power of the Holy Spirit because if you have the Holy Spirit, you don't need that stuff. You understand? Oh, but the music, it's so moving. Yeah. The enemy comes to angel of light. I'd be really careful with that. I personally, my personal conviction for me is I won't sing that music just because of how tainted it could be. And there's so much good Christian music out there, I don't need it. So, anyway, this is important stuff. And, uh, it, by the way, the second in command there, the second leader there, Chris Volatin, he prophesied that Trump would be president right now. Second term. False prophet. He admitted before that that he made other false prophecies too. Oh, but that means he's a true prophet. That's a lie. God's not the author of confusion I, I have to admit, I never thought they'd come to the point of saying, oh yeah, we make false prophecies, but that's part of a criteria of being a true prophet. It's not the biblical criteria. The Bible says, test everything, hold fast that which is good. And the scriptures warn that f false apostles, in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15, Paul says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not a surprise, surprising that if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. And a few verses before that, Paul says, I fear lest as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds might be corrupted from your simple devotion to Christ, and that you might believe in a different Jesus, you might receive a different spirit, a different gospel. You, that you'll bear with it. You'll, you'll go for it. As a serpent beguiled Eve. How did the serpent beguile Eve? You shall be as who? 
God. That's what Mormons teach with their new apostles. That's what Nar teaches, New Apostolic Reformation, that we are little gods. God wants us all rich in the prosperity gospel. It goes with, they preach the prosperity gospel, the word faith gospel. We know that's heresy. They teach that, and the Bible, Paul warns in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, of men of corrupt minds teaching that godliness is a means of financial gain. The Bible warns about all this stuff that's going on now. And Jesus said when he returns, he will judge the wicked, and among them will be many false prophets. And many false prophets who will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many wonderful miracles in your name and cast out demons, do all these wonderful things? But he says, I'll turn to him and say, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. You did not do the will of the Father. Your, your supreme desire in your heart should be love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. To do his will. Amen? Your life is so fleeting and quick. It's, I think it's just the last 10, 15 years. They go real quick. The next 10, 15 will seem even faster. So it's important that we are right with the Lord. Amen? And that we know his word and that we build one another up in the faith. And it's, it's a different Jesus because it's this, this, you know, this Jesus that had to, in many cases, in the NAR movement, in the prosperity gospel, on the cross, he didn't finish the work of atonement. He had to go suffer in hell, you know, as well as the real strange teachings. So it's interesting, not that all of them teach that. By the way, in the book of Revelation, if you want to go there, go to Revelation chapter 21, verse 14. You know what you have on the, on the foundation stones of New Jerusalem? the names of the 12 apostles. And guess what? Bill Johnson and these guys' names aren't there, okay? <laughs> Revelation 21, 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. This is New Jerusalem. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So what's very interesting is the apostles and the prophets were foundational. Are we learning today? Are we thinking these things through? Because we come to grow, amen? We don't want to be, I don't want to be one of those churches where we get, tell you one or two verses, a couple stories, you know, and then we're done, and, and then we don't know anything, and then we get sucked into all this weird stuff. We need to know truth. I mean, how can you, the church at Ephesus, you know, I know thy work and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them that are evil, but, this, but, he, has, but he has this for them, and you have tried them or tested them that say they're apostles or not, and has found them liars. Do you know how to test apostles? I just gave you a bunch of the criteria right there. You go by what, you know, was Bill Johnson looking at the resurrected Christ in the first century and doing his miracles and commissioned by Jesus? No. You know. Well, guess what? As the apostles got older, this is interesting to me, not long before they died, they began to not appoint other apostles, but to establish leadership, uh, pastoral-elder leadership in the church. And there were already uh, pastors and teachers. And we just read, God gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And we read in Titus and Paul, you look at First and Second, Second Timothy, Paul talks about Paul, or talks about Timothy appointing what? Elders, First. Timothy chapter 3. In Titus chapter 1 verse 5, we read, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Wow. Look at, listen to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed to shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. You see? So he established oversight by, and by the way, the Greek word for elder is overseer, you know. And elder is a pastor is an elder, and an elder is a pastor, you know. There's just pastors also that, that lead and, and teach and so forth, you know. Now, it's interesting. Go back now to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And we know, we read in Ephesians 4, chapter 2, before this, 19 and 20, that they're the foundation of the church, the apostles and prophets. But we read then in verse 11, 
And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists. So the apostles were more governing, right? The prophets were more forth-telling and in some cases foretelling. And the church was built upon them. And some as evangelists. Evangelists are those who go and spread the good news. Missionaries, you know. And those who go and, and reach crowds for Jesus. You think of Paul doing a lot of different things. Not just an apostle, but he had evangelistic gifts. He tells Timothy, who's doing pastoral work, to do the work of an evangelist. So there's, you can have more than one gift. I do evangelism. I do a lot of evangelism through the, the years. I do live presentations and speak on different subjects and around the world at times and, and have an evangelistic gift, but I also have a pastoral a calling. And evangelists uh, are important, and we're all called to do some evangelism, at least shine the light of Jesus, amen? You know, some have it as a special gift, and there's different, as I mentioned to you, different administrations of the gifts. That's important to understand. You have the same gift as someone else, but a different administration of the gift, tuned a different way from the Lord, you know? He's perfect, so we trust him. And some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Now, it's said to be sure there's teachers. You don't have to be a uh, teacher. Uh, you don't have to be a pastor to be a teacher. You can have a gift of teaching without being a pastor. Amen? Uh, but you, but uh, to, be, to be a pastor, you ought to teach on some level at least, you know, and be sharing with people and edifying and building them up in God's word. Now, uh, pastor is to shepherd, as we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, and exercise oversight and so forth. And it's important, and we're seeing in Titus, in Timothy, in 1 Peter, that God used that after the foundation. Now we're moving into what? The structure of the church, the second phase. From the foundation, now we're moving into the second phase, which is the building itself, right? The beams and the, 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 the rafters and, all, you know, the two-by-fours, two-by-sixes, you know, four-by-fours, all that. And we're getting into the actual building of the church. And, and by the way, it's important to understand that the Bible very clearly teaches. Now look at verse 12. It tells us why he gave it tells us clearly why he gave apostles, evangelists, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? Look at verse 12. Ephesians 4.12. For the what? Equipping of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Wait. So they could equip the saints. It's my job as a pastor to equip the saints. To build up the saints. What's my objective? as a pastor. What's the objective of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers in equipping the saints? Equipping the saints for what work? The work of the what? The, the, come on, the work of the what? Don't be afraid of that word. The work of the ministry. Who has the ministry? The saints. The church. And we say, but you know what? That's a huge revelation to millions of people. Like in Roman Catholicism, they have the clergy and then the laity. A lot of Protestant church structures have the clergy and the laity. But guess what? In true Christianity, it's all clergy. There's no laity. We're all called to be ministers. I've told you for years and years and years that you are a what? Minister of? Come on, say it. Oh, you know it by heart because I tell you over and over again. You're a minister. You're a minister just like I am. You have special gifts that I don't have. We all have different gifts. God could use a donkey. Amen. We're all dispensable. I'm dispensable. Use anybody. It's when I was sick and everything. I said, Lord, I can carry on without me because you're God. You use a donkey. I was telling that. Tell myself before you, what do you want to do? I'm happy to be alive. But you know what? I'm happy to be used. I said, Lord, leaves me more. But I'll tell you what, guys. We're all ministers of reconciliation. I've been telling you that for years. Well, here it also says that apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers are given for the equipment of the saints for the work of the what? Ministry, you are a minister, male or female. In Christ, there's neither male nor female, right, when it comes to standing before the Lord. Amen. We have different roles that he uses, and women have some roles that men could never touch, which men want to become often, but that's unbiblical. And it's unbiblical the other way, too. But guess what? Huh. We're all ministers. And man, that's one of Satan's biggest secrets, to keep the church from recognizing that we're all called to minister and by the way, what's interesting about this ministry, I'm not talking about just reconciliation, reaching the lost. The context of Ephesians 4 is inward ministry. 
ministering to one another in the body of Christ. That's what I want to challenge you with today. Are you ministering one to another? Because it says, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You're, so it's not just outward, ministers of reconciliation, winning the lost to Christ. It's inward in building up the body of Christ. God wants you. I, through my time of dealing with, you know, COVID and the heart situation, all that, that was new to me. I can't tell you how many people, I could cry every time I think of it, and I do often tear up, how many people ministered to me. It built me up and encouraged me and strengthened me, whether it was a kind word, a text, you know, a letter, uh, a, a, a meal, especially the meals. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, man, Susie can cook, man. I just had something from her, man. It's like, wow, praise God. But uh, we, we need each other. 1 Corinthians 12, 20. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. We're one body, but we're members of the same body. Amen? It says when one member of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. He uses that picture of a human body. When you're hammering a nail and you hit your thumb, what hurts? Your whole body rises in pain. Ah! You know? And hopefully that's all you say. Okay? So anyway, uh, when I first was pastoring, I was doing evangelism. I was doing teaching. I was doing shepherding, you know? Even when the church first started, I would, you know, Lenny would call me up and ask me if I could play the guitar and lead worship because he was sick once in a while. I was doing that. But you know what? I was like, man, I can't do it all. I'm looking around for like other body parts, you know? And guess what? Praise God, you know? They were all around because when the church first started even, out of that little Bible study, there were men and women that loved Jesus that were you know, being used in dynamic ways. And it was exciting to see that first church service, you know. 35 people came and the excitement for Jesus. And you know what? I haven't looked back in over 30 years. And I have never sat around thinking, nobody wants to serve Jesus, you know. Why can't anybody step up and help me? Never had that problem. By the grace of God. A lot of churches do. They do. But I'm saying by the grace of God, nothing I'm doing is because I say, Lord, I can't do it. Did that from the get-go. Lord, you're going to have to do it, you know? He's always brought the finances in. Whew, just done it, you know? Use people in the fellowship. Use people from strange places. Boom, money would come in. Doesn't mean you don't pray. Doesn't mean you don't get tested at times. But he's always supplied our needs according to his riches and glory. He's an awesome God. And the body parts came. The different gift scenes came. And now we're touching millions of people. Millions of people see our videos, guys. And... And, and our podcasts are high-ranking uh, for Christian podcasts in different places around the world, which is really awesome, by God's grace, you know. Uh, but it's interesting because you, you, pastors can get burned out, you know. And I know I'm doing what the Lord's called me to do. One in ten, past, one in ten people that go to seminary to be a pastor, only one in ten end up pastoring a church and end up in, uh, up as a pastor of a church. And after... And, Pastors that do become pastors, they average two years at a church, okay? That's sad. According to a Stanford study, and I don't know how they arrived at these numbers, but they did a study, and they found out that those in the congregations believe that the pastors should put 135.5 hours a week in service. That leaves four and a half hours for sleep, time with the wife and kids, and relaxation, <laughs> you know. And, and I don't know how they got those numbers. What should the pastor do? And I think we, got, we don't understand. Pastors are supposed to be building up the congregation for what? The work of the ministry, amen? We're all in this together. Do you understand what my point is? And you guys know I don't say this because I wince at work. You know, I'm like always, as long as I'm able, Lord, let me, you know. And, and I'm, we're back to, you know, this week we'll be doing doing this teaching i'll be doing wednesday i'll be doing four podcasts and so forth and to me it's not like oh no it's too much for me it's like no man i know the lord's gifted me i know he's called me and i know i'm going to do as much work as i can for his glory uh and it, to me it's not work because i'm a fish in water it's like the gifting he's given me you know and and if i have a hard time in a week or whatever I just give the guys a call and say hey need someone to step up it's pretty easy you know but i know god's called me i know he's put his hand upon me and we're seeing the fruit from it. I know he's called people in this fellowship because I see the fruit from it. And I, and I trip out, man. I look at the different giftings in this fellowship with different people. 
It's not any, the Bible says, uh, how can you boast in what you've received as a gift? Amen. You can't boast. Amen. And he says, if you think you know something, you know nothing. We need to recognize we're nothing. It's all the Lord's doing. And we cry out to him and say, Lord, use us to your glory. But I marvel when I see the different giftings of the different brothers and sisters in this fellowship and how the Lord just brings it about. It's like, just so beautiful. And I pray that he continues to do so. But it's interesting to me that uh, as we go through Scripture, it's absolutely important that we recognize that we are a body and that you are the ministry and the ministers. Amen? And that we're to minister one to another. And that's one thing I love about this fellowship is people are so, many people here are very ministry-minded. Just about everybody here that's been part of fellowship for any time is seeking to do things for Jesus. I mean, I could look around and just see people and everybody just does things for Jesus. It's the way it ought to be. But I don't see people that are like, oh, i got to serve Jesus. I see people excited about it. And we ought to be excited. You can lose your excitement. You can get burned out. That's why the key is staying in love with Jesus. Amen? And I have an excitement because I, stay, I, I love Jesus. And there's times where he lets me know to get, I need to get closer to him for sure, you know? But praise God, he, he does that. Amen? And we seek him and, and so forth. So it's very, very important to understand that, you know, that we're a body, that the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Amen? It's like, could you imagine you're watching the Super Bowl, if you're watching the Super Bowl today, and you're watching it, and all of a sudden the sportscaster is talking about, wow, we have an interesting development. The team is getting ready for the kickoff, but we're, oh, we're hearing this discussion, and they decided they don't want to go out there and they're going to have the coach go out there and play the game for them. And the coach runs out there to receive the kickoff. Receives a kickoff. Runs and gets just destroyed and buried by the opposing team. Then they go and interview the 300-pound guard. What's going on over here? Well, we figured he has way more experience than us. You know, he's been teaching this. He knows what he's doing. That it'd be better if he went out and did it. That'd be all messed up, right? But that's how churches operate. Do you understand what I'm saying? Churches do that all the time. We are the team. Amen? Amen? Oh, yeah, the coach plays on the team. He's a player coach. So that's why you'll see me witnessing still and evangelizing. And I'll go out three different places out of state, you know, this year and, and with evangelism purposes, you know, building up the body of Christ, Lord willing. But we're all a team together. And you can't leave it all up to the coaches. Amen? Well, you guys have more than one coach. Well, what if the coaching staff of one of these teams goes out instead of the team? They're going to get destroyed. Amen? We can't do it on our own. We need each other. Amen? We need each other. That's so important that we, we understand that. And, and it's interesting because look at chapter 4, verse 7. But to what? Each one of us. Chapter 4, I didn't read this verse yet, but read it. But to how many of us? Each one of us, that's each one of us, each grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's given us each a gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, talking about the gifts. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one of us to profit, of, to the profit of all. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 12. But one the same Spirit, one of the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Romans 12, 6, talks about God gives gifts to, quote, each of us, uh, uh, is to exercise it accordingly. 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Oh, like five times I just read in like four different books. Guess what? Each one of us has gifts from the Lord. Amen? And we're supposed to be used by, for God's glory. A lot of times like, well, I can't do anything. I mean, who am I? That's when you're able to be used if you can turn your gaze away from yourself long enough to put on the Lord and say, but you could do all things through me. Amen? Because Moses recognized he's the humblest man on earth. I can't even speak. I, he stuttered. God said, I'll be with your mouth. Amen? He's not looking for those who say, I'm special. I could do it. No, because then you're trusting your flesh. You fall flat on your face. You have to trust in the Lord. Amen? And when you put your trust in the Lord, then he'll strengthen you to be the man and the woman he called you to be. You know, Vince Lombardi, he's one of the winningest coaches, NFL coaches ever. Some consider him the best NFL coach ever. Vince Lombardi, and uh, 
Green Bay Packers won all these different championships and so forth. And he was, after a practice, or during a practice one time, he went to one of his players, a guard. I think he drafted him in like the third or fourth round. And he said, you know what? You're not putting out. You're not blocking, you know? And guess what? You're done. It's over for you. And he sent him off. And just take, change, get your gear off and you're out of here. Wow. He could be very strong. But he came back 45 minutes later. I read. I'm assuming it's a true story because it's a very interesting story. And uh, he goes, you know what? Uh, he was still sitting there with his uniform on. And the guy was sobbing. And he went up to him. He said, you know what? And he said, you're a bad football player too. And he goes, I meant what I said. You're a bad football player. But he told him, in you is the potential to be a great football player. It's a great football player in you if you would just choose to be a great football player. And that guy suited up. And that guy's name is Jerry Kramer. <laughs> and he, was, he won five NFC championships with the Packers after that. Two Super Bowls, Pro Bowl five times, Hall of Fame, and was considered the best guard for the first 50 years of NFL history. Okay? Well, guess what? We have something, someone... We have not a great football player in us. We have the Lord Jesus Christ in us. And we can do all things through him who strengthens us. Amen? And we are his body. He's the head. We're the body. And he wants to use us to his glory. Amen? And that's very, very important that we get that. And it says that we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but the next verse says, but it's him that works in and through us to do his purpose and his goodwill. Amen? Could you imagine a football team? I mean, think of football players, college football players. Think of pro football players. They come, or college. They show up, and they just miss practices every week. Oh, they don't care to show up much. and It's not that important to them. Oh, if I go, I go. If I show up, I show up. How long would that football player last? Why in the world does that happen with some people at church? Which is more important? Oh, I could give it. Oh, I might go this week. I might not. It's not that big of a deal. Think about it. Which is more important? Can you imagine if people caught that attitude? And the, coach, and, the, and the coach didn't care. Parents would care. Hey, if they're, it's a college or it's a high school student, college students, or if it's a pro, what's going on here? Yeah, but the pros get paid. You know how much was paid for you and me? Something far more than money. The precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to redeem us. How much more do we need to be in fellowship? The Bible says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You know what the greatest talent of a lot of athletes, sometimes you hear a coach say, and it, it, it floored me the first time I heard this, was availability. He's there. He's there. He shows up. He's available. That's what I love about that guy. Availability. You can't do the other thing. You can't operate in the other gifts, amen? You can't build other people up if you're not available, amen? Right? And I, I love all you guys, but how are you building other people up if you're not here? Through osmosis, you know? No, man. And we have more of a responsibility to be amongst the body of Christ, building one another up than any of these football players that are playing the Super Bowl today. You know that. Because we've been bought with the price. Amen? I say this to you because I love you, and I hope you're convicted to a degree and encouraged, you know, to build each other up in faith. Next week, Lord willing, we'll work on the second phase of the building more. Amen? Love you guys. Let's, let's stand. Pass out the cup and the bread.